0: i <music>
2: Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, May 9th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we will dig into the debut of George Kirby that took place on Sunday. A pretty heavy weekend of bidding and free agent pickups this weekend with a lot of prospects getting the call over the last week or so. We'll talk about some expectations for those players as well as maybe a few sneaky, interesting, boring players with a lot of playing time. Uh, we had a lot of email questions trickling in covering a ton of different ground, including bat humidor technology, uh, a new metric called grit plus. I think I teased that question a few weeks ago, but <laughs> that one drives it something a little bit different than actual grit. So we'll get into that question among a few others as we uh, move along here on this Monday. But, you know, the George Kirby debut was excellent, really about as much as you can hope for from a pitcher making his big league debut. Six scoreless, four hits. Seven strikeouts, no walks, and if you were among the people who were excited about Matt Brash earlier this season, yes, I was definitely among that group, Uh, and you are also excited about George Kirby, the one thing you should be really excited about is that zero in the walk column because George Kirby, as many people may know already, has very good command, and it's nice to see a guy, especially in his debut, go without issuing a free pass in a start where he pitches that deep.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you could push, uh, if you could squeeze him and Matt Brash into one person, you'd have uh, probably the best pitcher in baseball, Corbin Burns. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, there, the the debut, as seen through uh, the pitching plus model, kind of agrees that it was good command. I think the thing that might surprise people is that it was a ninety one stuff plus debut. You we're looking at a guy who uh, threw ninety six, so you know, you are kind of like um, seems like good stuff. Uh, but uh, one thing that you might notice if you sort of peruse some of the Statcast numbers is that it had it has less ride than usual, uh, about an inch, inch and a half less ride than usual, and ride really matters on the kind of inch to inch level. Uh, also, the major league average, uh, even among starters, is about 93 and a half now. So uh, you know that is good velocity, but it's uh, not what it might sort of first appear. Um, and then you've got uh, you know some good pitches in the curveball and change that he did not use as much. Um, and then the slider goes hard, but it has less drop than average. So um, you know it's a bit of a uh, just from sort of guessing by the movement patterns here, I'm guessing it's a little bit of a, a gyro slider, um, which means less movement uh, more about where he puts it. But the good news is you put it in a lot of good places. Um, I wonder, if uh, you know a comp for this would be would be kind of tough. Let me see. So Kirby was uh, ninety one stuff plus one hundred three location plus ninety seven overall. Um, I could see that location going up, especially if he was amped a little bit and he goes back down to more like ninety five uh, plus, um, and and you know gets some command out of it. Um, maybe. Who is somebody that he could be like? Uh, maybe some of the Cleveland guys.
2: Yeah, I, I see Bieber in this profile. Like I see, I see yeah. Bieber with more velo on the fastball in in George Kirby. It's possible.
0: Yeah, uh, that would be the the upper end. Um, I think on the lower end, he uh, it, it doesn't make it's not a comp in terms of how he looks or how he pitches. But Eduardo Rodriguez um, has had a lot of success with the more command. Uh, a lot of pitches uh, kind of uh, approach to pitching. I know he's not uh, doing well right now, uh, but he's doing okay right now. Um, and for his career, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez is a 417 ERA, ERA 131 whip. I would just assume that Kirby's whip would be lower because his walk rate will be lower. Um, but that might give you an idea of the range of outcomes for him is somewhere between Eduardo Rodriguez um, and what was, what was your comp again? Oh, uh, Shane Bieber left Shane Bieber, yeah. yeah, there's, there's, uh, I, 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 wouldn't say that like a 91 stuff less debut, you write them off, especially, uh, you know, it's important to remember that we're talking about three or four starts are better. And, uh, we just got a start from Kyle Bradish where it was his first start was, uh, similar 92, 93, uh, stuff Plus, And the second start was 115. So uh, that's why we, you know, give it, a, give it another turn. And then also somebody noticed, uh, this is fun, uh, somebody noticed that there's a three-inch difference in release points uh, vertically uh, for pitchers that pitch uh, in Baltimore and then pitch somewhere else after. What? <laughs> so uh, there's, like, there is definitely still calibration issues out there in, in baseball. Uh, that's what i would guess i would guess it's all it's calibration i mean it's it's not like everybody's going to baltimore and changing their their release point so um kind of crazy that it would be like that but i do know that you know i've heard sort of uh now 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 i'm getting to the part where like i say something that i don't have like great reporting on that i've just sort of it's like kind of gossip almost baseball gossip which is that like some teams are fine with uh, un- uncalibrated or poorly calibrated uh, trackman or you know Hawkeye or whatever because they know what the calibration is that they have to do in their numbers and maybe other teams don't
2: <laughs> it's just uh, that's so weird. It's like well we, we, can, we can figure it out we know what the problem is so we can just correct for it but we know these teams can't like that's, yeah, I mean, maybe there's odd. some teams out there where it's just not much of an
0: R&D department and they're just taking the, oh man, this pitcher in Baltimore is a great release point.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty weird. The The other pitcher that I think was pretty popular as a pickup, if he was even available still, is Josh Winder in Minnesota. I know we haven't really talked a lot about him. He's kind of been the extra guy early on this season and another injury has befallen the Twins rotation. Unfortunately, an elbow injury for Chris Paddock. And given what he was dealing with at the end of last season, you could imagine that could be a very lengthy absence, plus Bailey Ober's down with a groin injury right now. So there, there was already an opening, at least a temporary one, for Josh Winder, who to this point split between the bullpen and the rotation as a 20 to 4 strikeout to walk ratio in 22 and a third innings, posting good ratios so far. Has a good track record at most of his stops in the minor leagues with some really nice ratios along the way. Good control pretty much everywhere he's been. Good, if not great, strikeout rates at a few of those stops as well. So I'm curious what you make of Winder getting this potentially extended opportunity in the Minnesota rotation. Yeah, I think he's um,
0: you know got some fastball deception because he's got uh, more ride than usual um, and an interesting release point. Um, he's got a good four pitch mix. Um, he's, uh, his stuff plus per by appearance, uh, has kind of gone up and down. Um, there's a, you know, his best appearance came with like 60 pitches, uh, with a 108 stuff. Uh, his worst came with the most pitches, uh, with an 88 stuff. So there, you know, there is that process of like coming from you know being lights out in three innings to having to go five and and finding a way to to make that go. But I would point out that the average SP stuff plus is actually ninety seven ish because uh, we you know stuff plus is calculated among all the pitchers, so you know uh, kind of unfair to co- compare uh, Winder to. I'm just looking at Stelmont because they're both Josh's. Um, in the sorting, <laughs> but Stomont's like, you know, up there in the one twenties and one thirties um, with stuff Plus And, but he only has to throw, you know, 10 to 15 pitches per appearance. So um, I think that Winder will, uh, is it Winder or Winder? I thought it was Winder. I'm going to check it real quick to be sure. Uh, I think Josh in uh, Minnesota <laughs> uh, will, so uh, will settle in with above average stuff for a starter. I mean, there's, there's enough of, uh, you know, you can you can kind of look at the what's what he's shown. Then you can look at the Statcast page, see that he has above average ride, um, has a kind of an interesting power change changeup, um, and then um, uh, a, a slider that doesn't look amazing in here. But I think there's some seam shifted wake effects there that that help him. So. Um, I'm actually, uh, I, I like him, uh, he, you know, there's no real flaw because right now overall, it looks like 99, 98, 98, uh, of you know, stuff, location, pitching, um, which to me is like kind of average ish, but there's been, you know, some appearances where he's done better. There's some deception. No one's seen him. Um, you know, it's a decent ballpark to pitch in. Um, I, I'm, I, I wouldn't like push him super hard. Uh, but he would be in my like top 75 if I knew he was a starting pitcher the rest of the season.
2: Which makes me wonder, where would George Kirby be by comparison? Because the bid differences in the leagues where Kirby was available, I saw a 29 out of 100 bid in one league. Uh, yours truly dropped a, a 207 out of 1,000 in Tout Wars, a 15-team mixed league. So I think 20% is probably the, the rough estimate for a lot of mixed leagues once we get to next weekend when he's available in the NFBC, we'll obviously have a lot more leagues to pick from, but uh, bidding was aggressive and it wasn't just me in the places where I saw Kirby available.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that the thing for Kirby is a slightly better demonstrated strikeout rates and effects and, uh, and results in the minor leagues, a slightly better projections. Um, and then also for Kirby, um, like a slightly different kind of opportunity, right? Like Kirby is up not to, cover for injury right more clarity on his it's like path he's to sticking up. it's up like, to him if he, yeah, pitches, if well, he, pitches, he, he pitches well stays. he's in yeah so uh i think kirby might make the top 60 um and then you would find uh you know winder what is it winder it is winder winder in the sort of uh, uh 60 to 70 range in there maybe like higher 60s maybe low 70s um I, you know, if Kirby has a a great start next time out and has that sort of jump that Bradish had in the second start, then I might be even more excited. Um, It just, the thing that I remember is that everything that everybody says about Kirby first is command. So that's the only reason I'm not like number one with a bullet, you know? (laughs) Uh, So I want to see a little bit more on Kirby, but already you know already in the top 75 because good command uh, gives you a really high floor and he has a look he has a spot waiting for him whereas winder might be up for
2: might be starting for two weeks you know three weeks it really could come down to a few factors do the twins want to use six starters at any point uh, how healthy are the likes of of gray ryan Bundy and Ober how well is chris archer pitching you know i think that's a key question too aside from the paddock factor so it's a little more bumpy in the long term if you're trying to plot out how he sticks in the rotation, but there, there's more than one way it can work. I think with Archer, the numbers of strikeout per inning so far has been good. Control's a bit of an issue still. Home runs have been a bit of a problem. Ratios look good. So at a glance, you look at Archer and you think, it's working. It's fine. This is good. He hasn't pitched more than four and a third innings in any of his starts so far this <laughs> yeah, season. He's, so he's, he's a he's four and a <laughs> half. Yes, he is a two times through the order and then we're turning it over to the bullpen which with their bullpen i think that can work for a spot but i also it's i don't just, know what that just... looks like come you know late may or june if he's still actually in this rotation or if they just move him into the long relief role
0: isn't this just a fascinating new type of pitcher though this is a new type of pitcher i mean this is this is now a thing that people have in their in their rotations the four inning pitcher
2: yeah without shame apparently
0: without <laughs> shame
2: <laughs> Which is good. I mean, like, there's a lot of space between one and six. We talked about this before. That's like, a, yeah.
0: It, like, why do we always think like, oh, they, they either come six. in two. There's only two brands of pitcher. <laughs> you
2: get, six you, or you one get one inning, you six. That's it. <laughs> At least they've embraced that there are numbers in between one and six in Major League <laughs> Baseball. Very excited for them. It's not. It's not awesome for fantasy
0: and for watching. Although I suppose a, a really good four inning pitcher could
2: still be a marquee name. You could Would still you, be excited to watch that person Yeah,
0: pitch. could you be like,
2: oh, Chris Archer's pitching tonight. You know, it could be four innings, six Ks. Well, I think if you could make, you could have more combinations of, of pitchers that work together. It could almost be like tag team wrestling where you have Archer and Yolanda Duran, You could give them a, a nickname, you know, they could come mm-hmm. in. They could, they could have like tandem <laughs> entry videos. They could even have, like, a, a, a tag tandem, routine. A, tandem <laughs> and Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things you could do with something like this. Drew Rasmussen and Josh Fleming. <laughs> They'd be the worst tag team champions of all time. <laughs> but, hey, I mean, look, you got to lean into this kind of stuff. I, if this oh, my is God, the way we're you going, know what the tag
0: team duo for them is? Hmm.
2: Wrestling. Oh, wow. We are off the tracks. Just 15 minutes in. They're wrestling. A couple more twins I want to talk about. Royce Lewis and Jose Miranda are both up right now. I think this is another question where I I felt like the Royce Lewis pursuit this weekend for me was lighter than it would have been if we had bad news on Carlos Correa. Sounds like with Correa, it's not as bad as they once feared. You know, the fracture with the finger might not actually be a full-on fracture. There's a chance he avoids the IL, at least at the time of this recording. I wondered with Royce Lewis, though, does he stick in plan of their position, given that they have that kind of opening at third base right now? Or is this just a temporary solution until Correa's back in the lineup? I I think that was a big part of why I was sticking to about 5% as my high-end fab bid for Royce Lewis, because I wasn't convinced he was staying I'm also not sure there's going to be everyday playing time, even if he sticks. Yeah, I
0: didn't. I didn't. I don't think I even really put the bids in because I was a little worried about that. Um, and then, you know, I think that you have to think about it in tandem with Jose Miranda. Tandem is the word of the day, apparently, because uh, there's one job available. It seems third base. And and what's amazing is if you actually look at Urshela's in numbers, I know everyone sort of swim moved right past him. He's 30, he never was that good, and now he's bad. But when you look at Urshela's numbers, he's got the lowest swing strike rate of his career. The lowest strikeout rate would be the lowest strikeout rate if he had it all year. So he's making contact. He's got the second lowest reach rate, uh, chase rate, you know, chase rate of his career. And he's got the best barrel rate of his career. Like, he's actually doing, it would be the second best walk rate of his career. Like, he's doing everything right. Except for,
2: yeah, get hits. Yeah, well, I mean, some of that's out of his control. If you're putting the ball in play that often, making good decisions at the plate, and you're dealing with a dead and ball, maybe it's a little bit of bad luck. I think he could get the job back. You know what I mean? Like I,
0: I, I think he should be considered the favorite. I think because uh, Jose Miranda, you know, could do the same thing that other rookies do and and be fine long term, but not make it right away. And Jose Miranda is. You know, not necessarily doing everything right under the hood yes he has a uh, walk rate twice his strikeout rate but that it's just because his <laughs> strikeout rate is 3.6 right now so uh it does make a lot of contact which i like uh but 52 percent of the air is i think a little bit problematic uh that's going to lead to a low BABIP. the guys that had i for a piece that i just did I looked at 48% or higher fly ball rates in the last uh, in the last three years, and the top the, there were like 11 guys that did that, and their combined BABIP was 220. So if you live in that sort of 50% plus fly ball rate, I think you can only expect a 220 to 240 type BABIP at best. Um, so that's not going to be great for him because right now he doesn't have a good BABIP, he's uh, and he's not barreling the ball so. I mean, I I'm not saying this. You know, I was pretty negative on Kellenich, you know, due to some process stats when he first came up. I I'm not saying the same thing about Miranda. You know what I mean? Like I I think he could figure out a lot of this. I really like the contact rate, you know, the reach, the chase rate is pretty good. Um, but I just don't know he's going to do it right away. You know what I mean? And then Lewis, I think you're kind of wasting some of what he can do if you're playing him at third. And then I'm not sure that he's offensively better uh, than Urshela or Miranda. So. I think Miranda might get two weeks to try and push Urshela off. And if Urshela's luck turns at all, then Miranda might go back down and you know hang out with Royce Lewis and AAA, a and Double-A.
2: They can float the DH a little bit because Sano down for a while. So that does create an extra spot that wasn't there previously. What they're doing since Elks got came back. why they're going to keep Miranda up, yeah. Yeah, they're playing Kirloff at first so far. So I think... It's a lot of moving parts. I think there's room for one of these guys to hang on. I think you also have to ask, how much do you buy into Royce Lewis really producing at the best clip he's ever produced at in the minor leagues to begin this season? 24 games at AAA. He had a 310, 430, 563 line. There's nothing like that at any of his previous stops. He was always young for the level. Obviously, lost the 2020 season because there was no minor league season. Had the torn ACL last year, so there's been a yeah. long layoff. But it's he's walking more than run. ever. Yeah. he's cutting the K rates down and hitting the ball in the air more than ever. I mean, this this looks like the Royce Lewis that people were expecting when he first was drafted. By the and, Twins. and the legs are healthy with eight stone bases. Yeah, everything looks really good for him right now, except for the immediate playing time. So I'm really curious to see how they balance it out, but. I just have to temper the expectations in the short term for both players because they're trying to really battle for what is currently one spot. Yeah, and there's really only one winner. That's the point. It's like it's a little bit tough when you like it better
0: when somebody like Kirby. It's like just what we were doing with Kirby and Winder, right? Mm-hmm. With with Kirby, you're like, man, there's like there's no way that he's going to pitch well and get sent down. <laughs> you know? Like, but I think that's the opportunity that's in front of him. Whereas... I think with Royce Lewis and Jose Miranda, one of they could both do better than they're doing right now, uh, or they, they could both do well in the major leagues, and one of them would get sent down anyway.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right.
2: We should talk about Juan Yapes in St. Louis because he was highly uh, coveted over the weekend. People were very aggressive with some bids on him. Including opportunity. Me. You were Your one boy. of them. Yeah. So, opportunity here is probably with Corey Dickerson fading, you know, Dylan Carlson's month plus disappointment to begin the season. So, all it takes is one or both of those guys playing less, and suddenly Juan Yapes can play. Kind of a lot for the Cardinals, and the the reason that I took the the
0: leap was this: he's played two of the five games in the outfield. I just wasn't sure that was going to happen because if he doesn't do that, then the chances that he holds that he holds his position all year are lower. But if he plays the outfield, that opens him up for the Dylan Carlson spot. So now he's coming up and there's Dylan Carlson struggling, Corey Dickerson struggling, uh, and I mean, Albert Pujols is fine. I wish that Yepes was a lefty uh, so that he could just steal you know, two-thirds of that DH spot and settle in with Pujols,
2: but uh, just the fact that he's playing the outfield and the fact that he came up and just played every game, right? He's played five in a row since getting called up. He's hit fifth in each of those games. It was right field, three at DH, and one in left. That's also good news. He didn't hit eighth, you know what I mean?
0: Fifth yeah. is a pretty pretty nice spot to throw him in the lineup, and then every once in a while, you know, and this is this is where I leave my normal um, analysis behind. I did take I did take a bit of a leap of faith because his chase rate is not amazing, his barrel rate is okay. It's a tiny tiny sample, but I do like how much contact he's made in the minor leagues and paired that with really good power. So those are two things I like, and then. Part of me was like, you know what? He's it. it he's not. He cost me like two hundred bucks, right? You know, it, there are going to be guys that come up where everyone goes heavier on them and cost even more than two hundred bucks. So this is my chance to buy in on what could be a great run. So and I needed corner infield in a couple spots, and I needed I needed some power. So I took my chance. I, I, as you can tell from the way I'm talking, I'm a little bit nervous about it. <laughs> um, but, uh, I see a real opportunity here because I, I just, but frankly, I don't think that Corey, I don't think Corey Dickerson was a good signing. Um, and he's a really, he's a bad ball hitter, like one of the best bad ball hitters, uh, of recent, um, of recent, you know, baseball history, like on the level of a kind of Pablo Sandoval in terms of, um, you know, root, swinging at everything outside the zone at all times and, uh, making a lot of contact. But look what just happened to him. He just dropped 13% in O O contact percentage, which is exactly what happens to people in their early thirties, which is exactly why I didn't, I have zero shares. So this is a bad ball hitter who's starting to lose his ability to make contact on the bad ball. It could go, it could go south pretty soon, pretty quickly. They didn't sign him on a big deal. He could be released, you know, so, Yepez, I think Yepes is coming for Dickerson's job, and I think he can take
2: it. Yeah, even though it doesn't fit as a lefty-righty combo, you could just see them continuing to use poo-holes only against lefties and using Yepes as the guy that goes out there against same-handed pitching. And because he can play the corner outfield spots, that bumps up the playing time just a little bit, too. The days they want to give Tyler O'Neill a breather, days they want to give Dylan Carlson a breather. That could mm-hmm. work out. So I, I do think it's harder to roster a player like Juan Perez in a 12-team league. It's harder to stick with him if the playing time doesn't turn out right. But five for five to begin uh, his time with the Cardinals this season, probably enough to take that chance. He's somewhere in between like Kirby and Winder. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not a perfect Kirby
0: situation where they're just like, "Hey, we have this opening and we need you to take it." Um and it's but it's not the Winder situation either, where like he's not up temporarily, right? Was what's the corresponding move? There's is there somebody he's up replacing temporarily? For Winder?
2: Yeah. No, for Yepes. Oh, Yepes? Uh I don't remember what he came up for. It wasn't Uh, Cardinals placed
0: Edmund So and Mundo Sosa on the Covid nineteen related injury list uh last week
2: Tuesday. And that was the day they brought up Yepes? I don't think so, no they sent Newt Bar down more than a week ago. It wasn't for Newt Bar. It wasn't for Newt Bar. It wasn't for Sosa.
0: It wasn't the corresponding for Sosa. So I don't, I don't, I don't see this
2: as like an injury replacement situation. Yeah, you don't go five for five with starts if you're just gonna yank this guy out of the lineup and send him back down. So I think, yeah. I think there's a, a real path here if he continues to take advantage of the opportunity. That's the key. Gotta, gotta play well to keep these spots. Uh, The other guy that's tough is MJ Melendez because the Royals lost their backup catcher. The corresponding move is Cam Gallagher. MJ Melendez needs to play more than Cam Gallagher based on his offensive production, but he has the same problem in that you look at the guy in front of him, Sal Perez. You're going to keep Sal in your lineup pretty much every day. So I think all of this just requires Sal to be a DH more. If they're willing to do that, okay, like MJ Melendez could probably play what do you think? Three to four times per week in the short term? And if he hits, maybe there's a chance he plays a bit more? Yeah, I mean he, he didn't have an amazing start
0: uh to the season in the minor leagues um MJ. But uh still a really good player. I'm trying to see who's been playing DH. I see a little bit of Hunter Dozier. A little bit of Ryan O'Hearn. Yeah, is it is that the combo that's going out there right now?
2: Yeah, they they move they move guys around a bit. I mean, I think a lot of this comes yeah. back to Carlos Santana and how long they're going to be patient with him. And He's on the awesome. IL right now, so uh-huh. that that helps. That buys him some time. Yeah, and he was mostly first basing. He only had two starts
0: at DH. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I guess there's there is a DH uh, availability because um, you could uh, you can play Hunter Dozier. Pretty much full time in right field, and go Dozier, Benintendi, Taylor with somebody backing up like Olivares or somebody.
2: Yeah, because Olivares just went on the IL, so now you're you're not playing him. He started four in a row before he got hurt during that doubleheader on Sunday. So if you push Sal Perez over to DHing
0: more often and use uh, Ryan O'Hearn as a backup
2: uh, corner outfielder. I don't think you have to play Ryan O'Hearn at all, for what it's worth. Not to be mean to Ryan O'Hearn. But right, just, yeah. Just a, just a guy on the depth chart for me.
0: I, I had been out on him because catchers take longer uh, to, to peak offensively. Uh, they, they debut at older ages. Uh, they just have a harder job uh, overall. And so, uh, you know, I just uh, – I'm usually out on young catchers and try not to spend too much in fab situations. The chase rate looks good in a tiny sample. He's already hit a barrel. Like you know, there's some good things about what he's doing, making a lot of contact, and he actually is a sort of a patient guy. So you know, there's a lot to like there. I and I thought, I guess I thought there was uh, more people in his way, but uh, you know, let's not pretend that pushing Sal Perez to DH uh at 31 is not going to be kind of slightly momentous you know what i mean <laughs> like he's 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 doing he's doing this like kind of once a week ish DHing.
2: wow how is he only 31 he turns 32 tomorrow so happy birthday sal if you happen to yeah. listen to the podcast he's gonna turn 32 that dude's knees that that dude's body has to be 40 <laughs> from the number of games he's caught it is three out of the last six at dh it's happening maybe it's happening it's happening. it's happening. He hits like a DH now. I mean, like that's yeah. that's the truth. Like he's he's become this guy that hits the ball hard so often that you can much more easily justify playing him frequently as a DH than you could earlier in his career when it was low average, low OBP, runs into a homer and doesn't do much else. Now he's just mm-hmm. scalding the ball. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think there's uh okay. I did there's more of an opportunity
0: here than I thought. I'm I'm scolding myself. That's why the, the tone I
2: I I had I, I dismissed him too quickly. Damn it! I got a boring one for you, Brandon Drury. He's sneaky <laughs> interesting in Cincinnati. One of our listeners, Sean, emailed us probably ten days ago and gave us the hey something up with Brandon Drury. Kind of kind of playing a lot in Cincinnati. I finally saw him getting picked up in leagues. I picked him up in a couple places. Some leagues he's got second base, third base, and outfield eligibility. So yeah, you got more you got middle, corner, and outfield. Prominent spot in the lineup. Yep, it's a bad team, but guess what? Guys that can hit for power in that park and play a lot on a bad team, they're going to be somewhat productive, and I think that might actually describe Brandon Drury in a pretty fair sort of way. A lot of infield time right now, moving between second and third base, Moose DHing quite a bit. Uh, I know they're missing a lot of guys. Eventually, India and Votto and a few guys come back, and that shifts things around a bit, but he's hit second, Six straight games, never hits really any lower than six, other than the first handful of games that he got the call. And he's he's playing against lefties and righties, not just a small side platoon guy right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, the, and the, there's a fairly large job he could carve out even if everyone's healthy, I feel like. You know, like the DH right now is with, if everyone's healthy and Moose is out in the field, is Colin Moran. Yeah. I'm not, you know. I don't think he's uh, terrible, but like that he could beat him. And the nice thing about Drury, too, and I think we might have mentioned this when we first talked about him, he's doing everything under the hood about his best, the best of his career, honestly. Uh, he's got the best swing strike rate of his career, the one of his best strikeout rates of his career, the best, uh, one of the best reach rates, chase rates of his career, definitely the best in the last four years, his best barrel rate. Uh, His best max EV, except for uh, 2016, which was when he was a young, young buck and had the best season of his career. So um, yeah, there's, here's a guy I think that, I don't know if he's going to have like a 289 ISO, continue that, but it is a nice park. um, And I think that he could, like, if you gave him a full season, this is a guy that would hit 260 uh, with like 20 homers, 22 to 25 homers, maybe. Um, So definitely useful. You know, that's that's uh, that's perfect. What I've found is I have, you know, a few shares of his and where everyone's hurt and I need I just need someone.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I like having a player like this that can cover just about any gap on the bench, right? It gives you maybe a little more flexibility if you are like me and you're chasing some pitching categories. Maybe you can get away with two hitters on your bench instead of three because you've got a guy that can cover almost any spot. And I think that's appealing. It might not be. And it might not be a guy that stays on your roster for six weeks, but if you get through May and you use him two or three times for partial weeks, and he comes through, that can actually work. So, yeah, definitely some things that are interesting in the brand. Oh, and also profile.
0: kind of a fun in NFBC formats—they have that fun, like sort of you mentioned, partial weeks. Yeah. They have that fun thing where like, you could have a hitter like him on the bench where he's away for the first series and then he's home over the weekend. Then you're like,
2: mm, yeah, I would like to have some jewelry at home for the weekend, please. <laughs> yeah, home streamer in more shallow leagues, so not necessarily a player picking up anything that's 12 or smaller. Let's move on to a question that's been sitting on the rundown for about a week or so. This one came in from Alan. Alan wanted to come up with a metric uh, to measure getting more out of your tools and your ability than others, And it was called Grit Plus, which maybe we'd have to rename it because uh, as he explained, he said that he's got uh, David Eckstein as the proprietor of the algorithm for Grit Plus <laughs> board members, including Brett Gardner, Joe McEwing and Trot Nixon. Um, they had a harder time coming up with pitchers that fit this criteria. Top choices included Nestor Cortez, Mark Burley and Sergio Romo. But the whole concept is just getting getting more than expected out of a player, which I think. The essence of this drives at player development and you know, honing individual skills and investing in your own game. So I, I think it's more of like dev plus or exceed plus because it's it's hard work, it's optimizing your swing, it's you know, cleaning up your mechanics, it's training, it's coaching, it's, it's all of those things. And I think a good recent example of this on the pitching side for me is Luis Garcia in Houston. Mm-hmm. Luis Garcia of the Astros was not supposed to be this good, supposed to be. And I think there's a lot of other players like that. I think we've talked about them before where you've got these kind of 45, 50 grade players who end up popping to be above average regulars. That to me kind of comes back to something in player development more than anything else.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I was, I was thinking more along the lines of maybe like a Chris Bassett, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, many, many pitches, many pitches, not the greatest stuff plus, but a good location on many pitches uh, and then it also just fits his personality. But, um, you know, I wonder uh, in your
2: def- definition, somebody like Tyler Magill or, or, or Kyle Wright would count. I think so. I mean, I think Kyle Wright, I see, I think if you're if you're looking at it from a from a everyone, regardless of when they were drafted or the amount of their signing bonus, they signed as an international free agent. If you put everyone on a level playing field, then you can include everybody regardless of because yeah, it's a
0: weird one to include right like this guy was supposed to be this good
2: fifth overall pick yeah yeah but the scouting grades and looking at the old Fangraph scouting grades this is from 2020 had him has a 40 plus so i think if you just want to look at it more from the what did people think this player was going to be and what did this player become hmm. he'd be on the path to a significant exceed so i i, I do think that we should include players like this because sometimes players are not drafted in the correct order They're rarely drafted in the correct order, and I think we should look at development and try and isolate situations where teams are getting it right and try and figure out how we can be right in long-term situations or in the case what we were talking about earlier. right? If you think about a a Josh Winder, that's why Josh Winder versus George Kirby, even though the playing time situation right now might keep it from being an apples-to-apples sort of comparison – it's interesting to think about how close they could be in actual value if playing time were, in fact, even, even though the perception of those two players based on scouting reports and expectations are pretty significantly different.
0: Yeah. I. Yeah, I it, it, player development is so fascinating because you just have all these different pathways to it. And yes, it's not linear. And then, you know, I, I think also people think of uh, Kyle Wright as like the sort of typical player development win, whereas it's
2: probably somebody more like Nestor Cortez. Right. Cortez and Luis Garcia, I think, are the two best examples. Cortez, I think every time people look at him, they wonder, how is he this good, and when is it going to fall apart? And then he comes back and pitches well again and keeps it going. I mean, right now, he's pitching better than he did last season. He's got his K rate up at 32% so far, walk rate pretty much in line with last year, He's brought the homers down early on this season. I don't. We're not expecting him to pitch to a sub two ERA all season. No one's expecting that. But it's looking more like 2021 was closer to his true baseline than any of us expected. Yeah.
0: Well, here's a here's another way of looking at it. Uh More along the lines of Nestor Cortez. I was thinking I, I took all of the pitchers that have thrown more than 100 innings. And then I took their, uh, I only looked at the pitchers that had an above-average pitching plus. These are supposed to be above-average pitchers. Uh, And then I sorted them by reverse stuff plus. So who has the worst stuff among starting pitchers and has yet been an above-average starting pitcher? And I kind of like the first name, Michael Pineda. Uh, that I think he's gritty, dude. I think like the, how long he stayed around the game, how little he has, I mean, yeah. the fastball just keeps getting worse and he just got that slider and somehow he's still here. Uh, miles Michaelis, Dylan Bundy, uh, Ross Stripling, Michael Walker. I mean, I think this is your grip plus
2: leaderboard. <laughs> yeah. These are guys that are getting a lot more out of their respective arsenals than you would expect for sure. Is Paul yeah. Blackburn close to the top of that list?
0: Uh we get a lot of yeah. Paul Blackburn Cort, questions. Cortez is near the top of that list. Right now, Noah Syndergaard is here. Zach Granke. This stage of his career, sure. Wasn't yeah, always a Chris grinder is, like this. Does make the list. Why doesn't Blackburn
2: Paul Blackburn's a mystery to me? I mean, and I know the park oh, is playing a, real extreme and doesn't have above average
0: pitching plus, but he does have low uh low stuff plus and high command plus or high location plus. Yeah, he, I mean, yeah, I think he he counts if I open it up a little bit. But yeah, I mean, he belongs to that list. Anthony Disclafani, dude. Good call. Yeah, I think he's right there. But uh, yeah, but then, then you're right. We're, we're conflating a few things. I mean, there's like the is it is it um, someone who has low stuff and is and is just a command artist that's making the most out of it. That that does kind of fit just uh, you know Extine a little bit for me. I I would say like the pitching, he he doesn't have, he didn't have power, right? right? So he was just pesky and he's like, he commanded people to death. Like bat, bat
2: commanded. <laughs> do you think on the hitting side, do you think Taylor Ward would count if, if anything close to what he's doing right now is something he sustains all season? It's a little bit like Kyle, Wright. He's a first round pick people. There were people that thought he'd be good back when he was drafted 26th overall in 2015, but it's been a bit of a, a long road for him to get there. Part of that was defensive position. But we're looking at a guy that's never swung less at pitches outside the zone and is doing more damage than ever when he connects. Mm-hmm. Like everything seems like it's falling into place. And this looks like a, a development, you know, player keeping at it sort of success story more than anything else.
0: Yeah, I think this, you know, I'm surprised that Taylor Ward didn't end up on the on the on the A's by now. Uh, because I I feel like that there's something that the A's have figured out, which is like, you know, if you give a player long enough, uh, if they've shown, it's almost like that, uh, what was that adage that Ron Chandler has? Like if they've shown it, they have it.
2: Draft skills, not roles. Once you you have a skill, once you demonstrate a skill, you own it.
0: Yeah, that sort of deal. And so I wonder if, you know, part of what the A's do is to... Just take guys that aren't showing it right now, or just showed it, right? Because then they're like, okay, they just they showed it, so they own it. Like, so this is gonna, you know, if we give him enough time, he'll 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 make it. You know, it was like that's sort of what happened with Loriano, and you know, like was he was facing a roster crunch in Houston, and he had shown some some promise, but he wasn't showing it at the moment, so they bought low. Um, so that's why that anyway, that's a little bit of a random rant, but uh, <laughs> uh, Taylor Ward, I mean he he just proves that like you know, sometimes you just gotta take lo- a little bit longer. Also, I think you know being this good at twenty eight means that um he just he wasn't a superstar, like he wasn't so good before his peak that he could be in the major leagues. You know, he had to basically get to his peak to make the major leagues. So I don't think that necessarily he's an amazing.
2: Uh, Dynasty or Keeper League asset because it it took him this, it took him till 28 to make it. Do you think Rowdy Telez counts here? I mean, you go back to his old scouting grades, and and part of this is the the uphill battle where I think when people who grade players write a scouting report, a bat only first baseman is facing a steep uphill battle to end up in the aggregate with a a, a 50. Like, it's very difficult for that profile to be a 50. Maybe we haven't seen enough yet.
0: But also you you see in the in like the fangraphs right up fifty-five game power, sixty raw power. Uh so he had the power. They gave him a forty forty five hit tool. I have to say, you know, having a career twenty-three percent strike a twenty three and a half percent strikeout rate right now is a way good outcome for a forty forty five grade on the hit tool, right? So yeah. I I think that he maybe he was I mean, I've heard that he can't hit the fastball. Um but and maybe you know quote unquote slider slider speed uh, bat, but um you know people said the same about Nate Lowe and I think his his struggles have have continued
2: where in some ways with the fastball whereas Rowdy's figured something out. Yeah, Rowdy's got five homers against fastballs alone this year. He's crushing them. Three sixty eight average, nine twenty one slug right now, and that that has been a problem for him in the past, but. Uh, interesting to see that he's made some adjustments on that i think he could maybe fit into this conversation but that player type that sort of player exceeds expectations and gets a job or in limited chances doesn't do enough and doesn't get another chance and ends up back at triple a that's just kind of the the line you have to walk if that's Mm -hmm. the player that you are but uh definitely something here and i think i think dev plus like development plus dev plus or is where I would want to go with that. Uh, that yeah, that that's right.
0: I kind of like I kind of like Michaelis is capturing all of this, you know. You know, kind of. I like Michaelis on the on the pitching side because he went. He had to go away, you know, like he had to go to Japan. So he was on that like up or down. It took him a long
2: time to make it, but he figured something out that does work. Absolutely, thanks a lot for that email, Alan. We got an email about bat humidor technology, which I think is pretty interesting because we talk a lot about the ball. We talked a little bit about the bat. You had a great story about how uh, just in a, a batch of a dozen bats, players can figure out like which two are actually the good bats and all that. But the question is, Uh, Here comes from Royce. Royce wanted to know, does relative humidity of the bats have anything to do with exit velocity? It seems strange. The guys just leave all their bats sitting in a rack in the dugout exposed to the weather of the day. Then, presumably, they get loaded on a plane and cargo or set in a room near the batting cages until the next game. Anyone who has split wood in Wisconsin knows that good dry wood in the winter basically jumps apart when the mall hits it. Damp wood just absorbs the energy with a thud. Yep. It matters.
0: And Ichiro is a, a, like such a great guy, such a crazy, crazy person. Uh, he was out in front of this. I think everybody will be like Ichiro eventually, especially the stars. More and more of them are storing their bats in humidors as they travel. Um, didn't it wasn't Kristen Yelich like didn't he get a bat humidor? I thought I heard that. Anyway, there's more. There's definitely more and more stars that are doing it. And it's it is definitely something that matters. And I know other ones that don't even uh, travel with Humidors, What they will do to counteract this is continuously weigh their bats, mm. because uh, you can see it. You can see them getting waterlogged, right? And so in the in the in the just the just the weight, you can see it. And so they'll they'll continuously weigh their bats, and then and then buy a, a new batch uh, if it gets too heavy. So uh, there are a couple ways around it, um, but yeah, I think the best players uh, think about their equipment this way and you're going to see
2: more and more bad humidors because it absolutely does matter <laughs> i will confirm that i have never had to split wood before that is a <laughs> brand of difficult labor that i i did not live far enough north to have to do it i am not part of a family that has a cabin or anything of that nature but i have loaded wood onto a trailer before i've done that but I have not actually split wood. I probably would have cut off my own foot, to be honest. (laughs) Probably not real good with an axe. I'm pretty bad with scissors, so they won't give me an axe.
0: Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a… Real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth.
2: The next question here comes from Adam. Adam wants to know uh, for Justin Verlander. He was just taking a look at the peripherals of the day and saw that his lowest, he had his lowest swinging strike rate since 2014. We didn't get to see the immediate results from the sticky stuff enforcement last year because Verlander of course was out recovering from Tommy John surgery. Um, So he's just curious, you know, what's the difference uh, in Verlander pre and uh, post surgery with his stuff and spin rates. And how does that impact how we'd rank him going forward?
0: Yeah. Um, it's an uncomfortable conversation, but one hundred percent, his spin is down. Uh, it's about 2, 2,400. Uh, you know, during his peak, it was twenty six hundred. That's absolutely on the level of uh, what you might lose if you had to switch uh, switch stuff um, uh, for your grip. Uh, you know, you can see that the vertical movement on his four seam fastball is down, and it's uh, he's not getting as much ride. As he used to. Uh, it's a little bit harder to see in raw numbers. It's, a, it's an interesting thing here. So you might see that um, he gets 11.6 uh, inches of drop right now. And he you got 11.4 last year. So you say, well, that's not a big difference. That hasn't changed. However, he threw a half tick harder last year. And so when you lose a half tick, you should gain ride. And he gained less ride. So relative to the league, he has less ride relative to the league, and relative to his velocity, he has less ride this year. Uh, So that's why I like to use the versus average stuff on StatCast, so you can see this year, versus average, he's got uh, 0.5 inches of ride. Last year, he had 1.8 inches of ride. uh, And at his peak, he had 2.9 inches of ride better than league average. So... The difference between like 2019 and now is two and a half inches of a ride. That's absolutely the source of his missing swing strikes, 100%. I think he's being helped a little bit by the fact that the ball is not jumping out. And I believe that uh, if the humidors start to uh, dry the balls out relative to last year in the wetter months, we may see uh, a larger home run rate going forward. And that's what you see with Zips with a 1.6 home run per nine going forward, Um, and uh, the bat is on the other extreme saying 1.24 homers per nine. Both of those are higher than what he's got right now. Um, Also, those systems are all projecting him to have an 11K9, where he has basically a 9K9 right now, and uh, those systems don't know anything about sticky stuff enforcement.
2: It's a good point. Yeah, I wonder... If you're ranking him for the rest of the season, I know you just did a new set of rankings. 20 to 25 among pitchers, is that about right? I mean, I wanted to kind of push him and push him, you know, like I like I he's healthy,
0: he's throwing pretty hard, he's got such great results. Um and uh and so I have him all the way up at 6. Oh, you got him at six. Okay. You got him way up there. I mean, the results are amazing. The stuff plus numbers are good. He's one of the few very, there's like a, a really short list of people who have 107, 108 type stuff plus with 108 type location. Like that's, he, he, he leapt to, you know, uh, he basically his numbers look like in, in, in Pitching Plus look very close to Brandon Woodruff's. Wow. So. Uh, I think it's like one of those things where he's like come
2: off of a peak that the peak was so high that he's still very good. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, the control has been really good so far, too. If you compare that to uh, the walk rates compared to what he had elsewhere back when his K rates were lower during brief times in Detroit, that's the other skill that's kind of changed. So, you know, even if it's a 340 ERA and a 110 whip the rest of the way with a lower K rate than you expected based on where you were drafting him, you're still really happy with him. I would say that you, the fact that you have him at six doesn't point to a massive crash on the horizon, even with uh, some of the concerns.
0: Yeah, so it's weird. Like I, I can agree with everything you're saying and say yes, 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 yes. He's not as good as he used to be, but he's still damn good.
2: <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so wish I had him in more places. Liked him a lot during draft season. Played the game of chicken. Waited too long in a few places and didn't get him nearly as much as I would have liked to. Thanks a lot for that question, Adam. Uh, here's a. Name that I should have thrown out there earlier, but I waited until now because there was a question about him. What type of player do you think Yadiel Hernandez can be with regular mm. run for the Nationals? I mean, this is a guy that our, our friend Nando DeFino has Nando. liked for a long time. He like loves the, this guy. A peak Nando guy. 34 and my, year old Cuban who doesn't have any defensive value. But finally playing and playing in the heart of the order when he gets chances to go out there. And I think. Great bat to ball. I think of him almost as another. Ty France type player in terms of who he is as a hitter, where maybe it's more average over power, good run production because of where he hits in the order. I don't know if I'm doing that because Ty France is also a Nando guy, but that's where I'm setting expectations.
0: I mean, you're talking about a guy who's going to have a better than average strikeout rate, uh, maybe doesn't have uh, plus plus raw power. You're talking about a 108 at max EV. That's uh, You know, like Shohei Otani has elite plus raw power. He has a 119 max EV, you know? Um so I, you know, even though the barrel rate is good right now, I think, yeah, I would I would uh, wouldn't expect much more power than he's shown, which is a one seventy six ISO. And uh so you're talking about a guy who can hit two seventy five with uh you know, if he had a full season in him, I'd
2: say like eighteen to 20, 22 home or something like that. That's kind of Ty Francian, isn't it? Yep. And probably good counting stats. I think that's the at least until they start trading players away in D C but uh, the specific question we got was from Scott. He's in a league that uses uh, OBP instead of average. He was considering dropping Marcelo Zuna to add Yadiel Hernandez. Could also pick up Harrison Bader or Anthony Santander, though. And I, I wondered, like, Bader, Bader's running a lot. Speed's hard to yeah. get. I, I'm kind of, like, snap willing to just say, go get Bader. I know it's not... It's not an amazing slash line. He's at 239, three 17, but he's got the K rate down again this year. He's got some of the walks back. That was the one kind of skill that went the other way. Last season, he's seven for seven as a base dealer in 28 games, he plays a lot because of his defense in center field. And that slash line is still a league average sort of line. So when you hit like a league average player and you play defense like Harrison Bader does, the playing time keeps coming. So I'm really tempted to just say that's the move.
0: I don't think he's losing a job. Um, I don't think he's losing a job, and he's, and he's stealing bases. Yeah, that's a hard one. I think Yadiel's going to steal some bases too, but you're going to get like two or three. And then, you know, the rest of the package, kind of like a 275-20 homer hitting guy,
2: is only useful uh, if you really need the batting average. Right. And then, you know, cutting Marcelo Zuna, K-rate is pretty much where it's always been. He's walking a bit less than he has in recent years. Still hitting the ball pretty hard. 11.6% barrel rate so far. I mean, pre-2021, he was at... Fifteen point four in the shortened season, twelve point one back in twenty nineteen. So uh, even I though think he's slumping, go on
0: a tear at some point. He
2: he looks it mostly looks- like the same player he was before. It's really a question of do you want power and run production or do you want a chance at some speed on the bottom of your roster? Yeah, I would say it was gonna. Like I know that his chase rate is the worst
0: of his career, so he's definitely pressing on some front. But he's his max EV is right where it normally is, which is plus. His barrel rate is there. Uh, you know, he's somehow not striking out despite having the same whiff rate as ever. I think he's going to go on a tear at some point.
2: Thanks a lot for that email, Scott. Might be a hold situation there, but you should find a way to get Bader on the roster if you can. I had a question come in about Michael King in the Yankees organization, getting chances, and that's kind of the extra reliever bridge guy right now. And it's surprising to me. I brought this up with Keith Law on the Athletic Baseball show on Friday. Luis Heal down at AAA just had a good start going into the weekend, but it's really struggled with his control. Davey Garcia looks like a bit of a mess right now. Clark Schmidt, we talked about him earlier this season. It just doesn't seem like they have a clear, immediate plan to get him fully stretched out so they could use him like a starter. And it led Manny to ask us if Michael King might be a starter in waiting for the Yankees. Should they lose any one of Cole, Severino, Nestor, Tyon, or Jordan Montgomery? Clearly not a spot based on how everyone's performing. But the question was really, who gets that that spot start? Who gets the extra opportunity if one of those five goes down?
0: Clark Schmidt, 35 pitches, 26 pitches, 54 pitches, 16 pitches. Uh, generally above average uh, stuff, but could drop below average, at least below 100 if asked to go 80, because he hasn't done that yet this year. Uh, Michael King, on the other hand, uh, has uh, recently been pitching um, 26 pitches, 33, 34. He topped out at 45, but that was earlier in the season. Like it almost seems like he's trending. Towards more of a traditional reliever, right? If you're talking about the last, the last three starts, the last three appearances, twenty six pitches, thirty three pitches, sixteen pitches, thirty four before that, he has much better stuff plus uh, than Clark, and could go all the way to you know eighty pitches and still have like a one hundred five to one hundred ten stuff plus. I think at eighty pitches, so I think I'd rather have Michael King do it. I just think the usage
2: is unclear. Yeah, I kind of think based on usage that they would turn to Luis Heal if they had a spot open because he's working like a starter at AAA. Went five innings last time out. Nine Ks, no walks, maybe a really big step back in the right direction for him. So I guess it's, if you're in an AL only league, like Michael King as a extra guy as your ninth pitcher is probably fine because the Ks are there, the ratios are good. Hard to own him otherwise. But yeah, if you're stashing for future starts... I think it's heel despite and, some of the struggles with walks.
0: And then think about how well the Yankees are playing, and how well this this kind of King uh, slash uh, Schmidt like longer pitcher in the in that on the major league uh, pen is working. And then you could say, oh, if there is a corresponding move, it's like okay, tie on to IL, heal up, heel gets the first four innings, and we will just use King and Schmidt like we always do. Right mm-hmm. after him, you know? Uh, and then the fact that Keel's third pitch is inconsistent, he can't always command it, matters less. And you get like a Chris Archer situation out of Luis Heal where he just four innings, six strikeouts, you know, one earned run. And give it to King or, or Schmidt for a couple innings and then you got to win.
2: Yeah, I think that's what they would be most likely to do. So if that's enough to bump King off your radar because you're playing in a 12 or 15 team mixed league totally makes sense to me just because they've got that depth is one of the things we liked about this team throughout the winter is they have plenty of interesting arms they could turn to if injuries really broke things apart it's too late to too late to point this one out but
0: he's amazing uh in one of my leagues where it's a, the SPRP. he's like uh we've got holds and wins and uh SP slots he's so good like I have him and Jorge Lopez Uh, you know, in my SP slots when I don't have a starter. (laughs) It's so, so great to have the like extra couple of relievers giving you innings. So uh, that's about the
2: best use I can think of. We got a question from OJ about Alexis Diaz because the Reds could possibly turn to him as a closer at some point. OJ pointed out the stuff plus number is absolutely brutal. 68.9. That is, I think, the lowest stuff number I've ever brought up on the show. It might be the lowest one I've ever seen for a non, not a non-position player. So what's going on here? Is there actually something that the model just doesn't like? That's unique. I to think Diaz. We gotta,
0: I think we got to look at this one, man. I, this is really bizarre. Uh, in his last three starts, uh, last three appearances, uh, Diaz had a twenty-three stuff plus <laughs> on on the first. On the third, he had a hundred and thirty-three stuff plus. Something's going on here. I wonder, I wonder if the pitch classification is jumping around on him or something. If
2: yeah, because he's fastball slider based on the the Fangraphs page, right? A ninety-five four on the fastball for the average velocity, eighty-five two on the it slider. It this looks like a pretty typical relief profile. He's, you know, he's not, he's not small. Uh, OJ pointed out the extension's good, so maybe it's like there's a little bit of that, like a little bit of deception possibly getting lost, but.
0: But no, I mean we have we have we have extension in the model. Yeah, yeah, extensions in your model, so it's not that. And the release point, like you know, people have low release points and good ride, like that. That that's in the model for sure. Uh, I I could sit here and try to say something negative about his movement patterns. Like he he does not get good ride on his fastball. And a ninety-five mile an hour fastball these days, uh, the average for a a reliever is ninety-four and a half so he's he's got a little bit above average va- fastball but 95 isn't what what it used to be so no good ride no good uh no good fade on the fastball either or whatever you want to call that run um and uh and then a slider that goes 85 uh that's not very fast for a slider it gets a decent drop though so i'm a little surprised that that slider isn't uh above average let me look at my per pitches maybe that'll tell us something
2: pitch i think this is a tough game to play with the reds bullpen though just in general this team is not winning that has uh, seemingly has designs on using a committee it seems
0: to have like if this is a fantasy question yeah all right here we go curveball it says his f- it's the four seam is the problem uh the the slider is not great either 87 but the four seam is 65 stuff plus yikes so it really doesn't like that four scene, so I'm gonna ask my modeler uh I had to actually uh, a question about this player um and maybe we'll get a better answer for you uh it is uh it is concerning to see someone that like you know has such good results too right uh, mm-hmm. that you kind of like why what's going on with this and and then also the big swing from like twenty stuff plus to one hundred and thirty three stuff plus is just really weird. But then, you know, he Diaz hasn't been amazing in the minors either. You know, in 2019, he had a 5 ERA. But the strikeouts have generally been there. So, I, I will say, let's uh, I'll, I'll look into it some more.
2: All right, one more name to throw at you. Dylan Peters, also a bit of a, a laggard in the stuff. Oh, Plus yeah,
0: does not like him. I know fastball, he
2: <laughs> up. 92-4, career best for him on the fastball. And the results have been good so far, even though the walk rate's been really high. In, in my mind, when... I think of Dylan Peters. I think of control first, and I'm looking at the results. And even for most of his career, that's actually not the case. Like he somehow picked <laughs> up the the good control reputation in my mind, despite the fact that he does not really have good control.
0: Yeah, yeah, he does. Also, uh, suffers in the uh, have good pitches uh, uh, realm. He has a a 118 slider, and then everything else is below 90. So I think he's a slider guy who has uh, enough other pitches to uh, to to be good in short starts, uh, but I I don't uh, believe in him long term. Uh, Big it, correction
2: coming. It's it's not. Yeah, that's I don't. It's not going to work.
0: Hey, let me see uh, appearance by appearance. Um, yeah, the best stuff plus he's put up this year, of course, are in those appearances with fewer pitches. So, once he gets over 40 pitches, he's generally a 75 stuff plus guy. Like, I just, that's really pushing it in terms of like, you know, trying to get by with his location plus numbers are good. I think what he does is just live outside the zone, right?
2: (laughs) Live outside the zone with a lot of pitches and only come in ever with the slider. He's only faced double digit batters in one of his appearances so far. So I don't think you're going to find. (laughs) I don't think you're going to find like a good NL only deep, deep league arm here. I think this is just going to be a a meltdown to come. And it's just a matter of of time before it happens. So be very, very careful. 38%,
0: 37.6% zone rate, the lowest, lowest of his career. Yeah, he's just. To living outside the zone, he's going to take the walk over the hit or the homer. <laughs> I just Damn. don't I
2: don't think that's gonna last. I think teams are going to catch on to that the more and more they see him, especially within the division. But uh, thanks a lot for that question, Rob. If you've got a question for a future episode, send that our way via email, at theathletic.com, or drop it in underneath this video in the comment section on YouTube. Uh, be sure to also subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Hit the like button on this video if you've been watching us there. On Twitter, you can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. You can also get a subscription to The Athletic for just $1 a month. Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels gets you in the door. It's the best deal that we do. We've had it going on for a while, but get it because it might not be there forever. So take advantage of that opportunity while you can. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. The show is back on Thursday. Thanks for listening.